Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show, episode 262. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, episode three, The People versus Emil Blonsky, directed by Kat Coiro, written by Francesca Gales and Jacqueline J. Gales. This series was created for television by Jessica Gao, and She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, is, of course, a Kevin Feige production. Before we start reviewing, Want to let you know about Fan Show Plus. That is the podcast that is ex- exclusive to, easy for me to say, exclusive to premium subscribers at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts. That's where you can hear us talk about extra MCU topics like the news that Trevor Slattery will indeed return in the upcoming Wonder Man Disney Plus series. We're also going to be sharing our hopes, expectations, dreams for Marvel Studios announcements at D23 Expo next week. So make sure you check that out again at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts. Just search for Fan Show Plus or the MCU Fan Show channel and you can find it there. And then make sure you keep up with us in those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you over on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much to everyone who has already taken the time to share their review. And now on with our show. How you doing, Paul Herman? Well, it's a very muggy outside, Sean, and with mug, you know, comes a swamp. Oh no, not yeah. the swamp. Uh, <laughs> the swamp. The, I, I won't. I won't finish it. But to say the yeah. swamp is is heavy. Yeah. With uh, in in the air right now. It's so, not so muggy here in sunny Southern California. A little bit yesterday, but mm. um, it is very very sunny in Southern California. It's triple digits uh, quite a Ooh. bit this week and all through this holiday weekend as uh, as we record. And so, yeah, it's very hot, but I am in a climate-controlled environment for recording this podcast. So this is as comfortable as it's going to get for me today. And I am just really excited to talk about the latest episode of She-Hulk. And as we discuss this, it's also, I guess the timing works out with another plug for Fanshow Plus that we will be talking about some Trevor Slattery news when we last saw him in Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, which is, as of today, as of this recording, celebrating its official one-year anniversary. So happy anniversary to Shang-Chi and everyone who made that wonderful, wonderful movie. But we are here to talk about She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. We've been big fans of the first two episodes. I came out in the first spoiler review and said that was my favorite of the three. And let's just get some of the negativity out of the way. This is my least favorite out of the three but not for the reasons that a lot of people are in bad faith complaining about this episode of the show. There's a lot of stuff that I like about this episode, but when we get into some TV territory, Paul, because this was a a topic that we had Mm -hmm. last week of some of these Marvel shows being parts of a longer movie and not necessarily following television format, well, this episode really falls into television format, and it's for better or for worse, because I think the A story in this episode is pretty good, or even better than pretty good. The B story is just kind of eh, but that's also TV. So, you know, be careful what you wish for, Paul Herman, but what did you think? You you told me that right before the episode, and I think you nailed it, because I... Hey, listen, I love, I love the first two episodes of She-Hulk. This one is definitely my least favorite, and it, 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 I would describe it as it wasn't bad. It just had a lot going on in it. And you really felt the, like you said, Sean, it definitely has that AB story we, we, we talked about. 
and you know they call it out in the episode and it felt more like a tv show less like a movie where the first two episodes felt like really an actual mcu show or excuse me a movie kind of you know split out and kind of parted in you know two different parts so at, at, at that point this definitely felt more like a sitcom and it felt like unfortunately in this episode i'm curious what you know the, how the rest of the series goes is it i don't know if it served itself um the best by doing that doing it that way but there's there's reasons we'll get into why i think they had to do it this way um which i think we'll, we'll definitely go back to what i liked more about the pre, um the previous two episodes but this episode as a whole just yeah it just wasn't it wasn't the strongest, um, you know, for a number of different reasons, but I didn't dislike it because there's some there's some important fun stuff that I liked about it. That I think they're setting up, which I'm looking forward to talk about. But yeah, as a whole, least favorite, a lot of weird controversy, which is, is weird to me. Uh, but we'll we'll get into that. Yeah, sure. We, we'll get into Twerkgate as we uh, as we go through and we get to the tag for this episode. But I will tease if it makes anyone, yourself included, Paul, any more optimistic. I, I did mention last week that. There's also ways the storytelling kind of shifts in very comic booky format. And I think that not in terms of like Angley Hulk and the way they edit the movie and transitions between shots. It's not that. Uh, but in terms of comic book storytelling, I think you'll see or might be able to pick up on some of that starting next week, especially when you watch next week's episode, thinking back to some of this week's episode. But this is more traditional TV comedy stuff, which is why. Tatiana Maslany, as Jennifer Walters even calls it out later in the episode, like collecting or connecting the A and the B story. Nice. Yeah, that's part of TV writing. And so I think as far as that goes, I'm fine with that. I love television comedies and I love A, B, and when it's a larger cast, A, B, C, D, E stories, however far down the alphabet you have to go for your stories in an episode. I have no problem with that as a format. You just want each of those stories to be strong. And I thought the A story in this episode was strong. The B story, not quite so much. It didn't really uh, carry its own weight in this uh, episode, but we will talk about it as we go through. Let's start with uh, picking up where we left off. Jennifer Walters is needs to have another meeting with her client because based on the end of last episode, very upset that her client has already escaped from prison, which is going to impact his chances of a successful parole hearing. But Blonsky explains he was forced to by a Sorcerer Supreme and former Target target sales associate of nine years, uh, Wong, which we saw in Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. So this was a while ago, so that still keeps, as far as timelines are concerned, this series after Shang-Chi. It's not like they're characterizing it as something that just happened. But anyway, um, they want to get in touch with Wong and then back in the office. Uh, Nikki is the one who's looking up and has that LinkedIn profile where we see Wong's target history, which I thought was really funny. And Nikki, to lure Wong uh, to connect with them, sent him a thirst trap with a picture of her with a bunch of books because he was also a librarian in Kamartage, as we know from the first Doctor Strange movie. If you want to see the thirst trap that Nikki sent Wong, you can actually go check out Ginger Gonzaga, who plays Nikki. Uh, you can check out her Instagram. She showed it. It was really funny, um, which, you know, whatever. Inside and outside of story, which I guess fits for Sheil, since the character, the main character is breaking the fourth wall. Um and then uh, Jen is uh, is acknowledging as she's driving the car, I know you can't wait to see Wong, I get it, but she wants to make sure we understand that this isn't a cameo every week type of show, despite Bruce Banner, Emil Blonsky, and Wong showing up uh, in these episodes so far. Just remember whose show this actually is. So 
as far as the introduction to this episode, Paul, I thought all of this stuff was very funny. I really like the idea that Wong was a target sales associate. It's silly, but it kind of makes sense to me. Um, I would imagine Wong was very helpful at Target. Um, but anyway, uh, all of that was cool. And I think I like the dynamic, like the back and forth of this friendship of, you know, but also boss and paralegal between Jen and Nikki. Uh, all of that's working. And also the show kind of calling itself out for the cameo format. But it kind of makes sense because I think they've done a pretty good job of that. When she says, just remember whose show this actually is. I think they've allowed us to remember that. I haven't had any difficulty keeping track of that. This has, despite the presence of Bruce Banner, Blonsky and Wong, I've always still felt like this was She-Hulk's show, as it should be. So it's it's mm-hmm. working out so far. Yeah, I, the, the cameo aspect so far, uh, even after three episodes, I feel has been pretty... They've done a good job of balancing it for the most part. We'll get into Wong's appearance here in, in a little bit. But I will say, I, I don't think the show's been bad. Um, in fact, I think the cameo... They've, they have balanced, for the most part, I think, the cameo aspect pretty well and making it really still uh, tilt towards Jennifer Walters' She-Hulk, as it should, and it, it is only building her up. I think, with especially with Bruce, with the, even with the Abomination, all that stuff, I think, has been really great, uh, just building up her character by using these other characters in the best way. We'll get into Wong in a little bit, but for the most part, I do think that they've done a phenomenal job of, of balancing that and really building up the character of Jennifer Walters. And again, I say phenomenal, I mean, I mean that. I think they did a really good job because I, I know I'm already invested in this character. I mean, again, I, I'm not the biggest She-Hulk fan in the world before and, and during the show, but I'm definitely liking the character way more because of, of you know Malani, uh, Maslani and you know and and I think the CGI is fine. I, just their, their interpretation of an adaptation of the character, I thought it's been really it's been done, done really well. But I think it's because it's been th- it's been helped ease into by the Abomination and Bruce Banner that they're kind of you're letting kind of get to know the character and then also through her other you know non her regular um, supporting characters help build that but having that supporting the those cameos if you will have really i think in my opinion helped to kind of usher into the mcu and make her feels uh felt feels like she belongs you know i mean i knew she belongs because she's part of the marvel universe whatever but in the mcu it feels very natural her interacting with everybody and it's a very natural uh gateway with her being a lawyer and everything so i, I love how they've balanced it so far yeah, and it's kind of three different versions of that in the three Disney Plus series we've had this year, right? Where Moon Knight is, because of a sign on the bus for like the Global Repatriation Council, it's like, okay, that's in the MCU, sort of. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, not sort of, it is. <laughs> but then you have Miss Marvel, which isn't really until the post credit scene in the last episode, or mid credit scene in the last episode, like it's not really... It's loving the lore of the MCU, right? It's people, it's kids who are huge fans and go to AvengerCon, which still needs to be real. Let's keep that, let's keep our focus on that as well. But it's, you know, kind of the lore, the loving, the reverence of the MCU, but it's not necessarily in the thick of it with Kamala Khan interacting with a lot of characters that we know. So we've kind of had that transition of, not a lot of MCU involvement to a little bit of MCU involvement and acknowledging the presence of the world to just plain in it with She-Hulk interacting with the Hulk. Obviously, it's her cousin. Um, but then Emil Blonsky, Abomination, and Wong. But I also think they've done a good job. You, you talk about in terms of balance. There might be three people watching this show because Emil Blonsky is in it as the reason they're watching the show. Most people don't even... A lot of MCU fans at this point haven't seen or barely remember 
The Incredible Hulk. So that's not exactly a draw. Wong is by far a bigger draw than Emil Blonsky at this point. But I think people are showing up for, yeah, Hulk a little bit, but mainly She-Hulk. And that's really what's driving the series and, and driving the story. And yeah, you balance it out with the cameos and that's just part of the fun of the series. And that also harkens back to She-Hulk comic books, especially when they've gone the superhero law sort of route where there's just all kinds of cameos of famous and not so famous Marvel characters that could just come strolling through at any point in any episode. And that's all just part of the fun, but not a lot of fun for Jennifer Walters right now. There is a lot of She-Hulk backlash, a lot of people upset with her for defending Emil Blonsky, and a lot of people upset with her for just plain being a woman. As we go through the criticisms that are there, there's a guy in an internet video saying they took the Hulk's manhood away, but then they gave it to a woman. And all these internet comments, so we got to have affirmative action with superheroes. No more, no more female superhero, please, with prayer hands. Why are you turning every superhero into a girl? Nobody asked for that. Why everything got to be female now? Wow, someone find a reason to cancel She-Hulk from at mom's favorite. So we have a hashtag Me Too movement, and now all the male heroes are gone. And then somebody with a video saying, support OG Hulk. I have no problem with female heroes. I'm just saying, make your own. Also oh a logo God. for a group call- calling themselves Team He-Hulk. And I love this so much. This is my favorite part of the episode. <sighs> and you wonder, like, where do they get all these comments from? Like, we've seen them. Yeah. These are all things that we have seen, heard, and read. They're Not probably just copy it, and pasted. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they did. They probably did, and, honestly. And so, and it wouldn't be hard. Like, you could find, no. of each of these comments, you could find thousands that are word for word the same or certainly uh, almost the same and express the exact same sentiment at the very least. We've seen all this, right? We know right. that this is out there. And that's why it's not like they shot this thing a long time ago. It's not like they're responding to criticisms of the first two episodes having dropped. No, they knew these criticisms would be there because they already, I mean, I criticism isn't even really the right word for it, but they knew these types of comments would be there because they were there three years ago when the show was announced, but this was around since before that. I mean, this sentiment has been around since long before She-Hulk was a thing in the MCU or we even knew for sure that it was going to be a thing in the MCU. You can go back to Captain Marvel and you can go back even further than that. And of course, go outside the MCU and go back way further than that. So we've seen all of this and I love the show for just knowing that this is part of uh, an unfortunate part of the discourse around She-Hulk and just being able to go out and call it out for for what it is. Obviously, all of this stuff exists in, in bad faith. And I think we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to the tag and some of the criticisms of that. But I thought this part was just absolutely hilarious, the way they call mm-hmm. out all of these uh, these bad faith complaints about characters and series such as She-Hulk. I had a great time with it, and I'm glad they were able to have fun no uh, kidding. You know, making fun of just the ridiculousness of this. Yeah, I, you know, I missed a lot of those, but the one I, I got me that hit, like, I say close to home in a sense where I've seen this before and that was she hope with you know is you know i have no problem with female superheroes but get your own like it's like oh my god like it's just you know that just i i, I died and because it's just it's so ridiculous to say that i mean because i mean whatever it's a, it's a name it but it identifies she it's her character i, I just love the fact that it's, they call it out like this is, is how dumb it is it's so stupid and yep. i love how jennifer walters in the show is like 
I didn't pick that name. <laughs> yeah. She's you know, she's like, I didn't pick it. Like this is what was given to me. And it's just kind of stuck. And so I just I, I don't know, there's something about that that kind of just tells you how like you're obviously there these those people take it too seriously, but I mean just shows you how like this, you know, just those things and how these names, you can't always help what your name is. I mean, people get nicknames all the time and they stick. I mean, look at baby Yoda, right? I mean, it's, it's interesting to put it in that perspective, but yet these people will take it super seriously. Like you're taking away this, you're trying to like take away from the man, you know, from men and he Hulk. And you know, it's like, it's so weird, you know? And it's, and what's scary is, you know, I'll just say this really quick. That that some people, if you think that that's crazy, I don't agree with you at all. But there's people out there who are just feeding it for monetary reasons, and it's just like, oh yeah, yeah, it's just it's just sad because it's not good. It's not, they're not complaining in good, you know, in any anything intellectually. They're, they're actually complaining just to, to get to feed those people to get money. It's crazy. So it sucks, but it's what it is right now. It does, and I hope that they learn and grow. Uh, that's mm-hmm. as we all need to well do. Said. Right. Me too. So uh, yeah. as we all need to do, some of us maybe have further to go than others, but I, I really hope that they do. And I'll have more to say about it when we get to the tag, because mm-hmm. I, I do want to talk about some of the criticisms of that and uh, some of the arguments against this show that uh, also in bad faith, like a lot of these silly comments that were hilariously highlighted in the show here, which I just absolutely love. So a round of applause for everybody involved and bringing that into the show. Back in the office, uh, Jen isn't backing down. She's sticking to this principle, and it's a good one, that Blonsky, like anybody else, deserves due process. He deserves a fair hearing. And she also thinks that the media circus will die down, which Nikki disagrees with. If we are tracking these Jen and Nikki debates, worth noting that Nikki is in the lead one to nothing because Nikki knew that Jen was going to have to be a superhero, Jen and be She-Hulk. Jen didn't think she was going to have to be, and then she was. And Media Circus, yeah, not going to die down. So Nikki, once again, is right. Um, But Holloway beckons with a new client. And hey, it's Dennis Bukowski, who we remember from the first episode. And this is our B story. We are briefly introduced to Mallory Book, a character we recognize from the comic books, but now played by uh, Renee Elise Goldsberry of Hamilton fame. Although we only see her for a quick cameo in this episode, I'm sure we will see her again in subsequent episodes. But as Dennis is there, he is going to be represented by GLKNH, and the attorney running point is going to be our pal Pug, who gave the pooping map uh, for the office in episode two. So we'll see if Pug can come through in the clutch here as well. Dennis's case is that he was defrauded by a shape-shifting light elf from New Asgard who made Dennis think that he was actually dating Megan the Stallion. So this is our B story, and we'll talk about it more uh, as it uh, as it comes up. But um, I like the idea of this B story. I don't really know that they did enough with it. I mean, I certainly like them clowning Dennis throughout the episode and everything that Dennis represents as far as an, an attitude and a worldview. Uh, all of that I, I thought was really good, but the whole Runa light elf thing was just kind of eh, uh, which we'll talk about more as we uh, as we uh, go along. But it was fine. Like you need a B story. That's part of the format. And I, I'm here for it. Um, and I even the setup for it isn't too bad. I just think overall, you could tell, though, as far as how it was treated and the amount of emphasis it got um, felt like a, a B story. You you want to have a B story that feels like it could have also been the A story because it's that strong. And it and while the setup is there, I think the overall execution doesn't really you know move this forward in, in a way that I found all that compelling or even all that entertaining. Like it's fine and I don't hate it, but mm-hmm. uh, definitely could have been better. 
Yeah, I, 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 this is my main problem for the show. And I think there was a, they tried to do a lot in that short amount of time with this B plot. And I think that was kind of the issue with, with the, the episode. And this is where I think the, the TV model may, when you're trying, let me start over. Because basically, here's the deal. I think they're obviously trying to get escalated with, with these characters, like with Pug and, you know, with all that. With GK, GL, and I always forget the, the acronym of that. Of GLK and H. Thank you. Um, they're trying to you know, really push and kind of show you more of that side of it while having the abomination thing. Because if it was a longer season, let's be real, she'd be doing that story probably and, in, in, you know, in that and in, in having and saving the abomination for a later, later time to develop that. But because you only have six episodes, you're condensing a lot, you know, in these six episodes. And I think they've done a good job of balancing that. This episode's a little bit different because you're trying to, I think, really put Pug and all of them in the limelight because they're going to, they're going to need to be uh, more prominent characters later on in the se- uh, season. And you need to believe what they're going to be, be able to do. And by doing that, there's also that setup where he makes that comment to that to that new person we we, we met and uh, forgot their name already. I'm terrible with names. But when he makes that comment, like, "Oh, my future fiance," I'm just like, "Okay, this is way too heavy, man." Like, it's just, it's like, it's a little. They're trying to do a lot in a little bit of time, and I and I see everything that they're trying to do and lay those lay that foundation. It like you said, just I, I feel like it could have been a little bit longer. You could have developed that. You could have had. Uh, Dennis and that and, and that person date for maybe half an episode or at the very end of the episode been revealed like it was the elf and he's like oh my god you know yeah. whatever there's just more they could have done with it to build it up it wasn't a bad idea but it, yeah this 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 is probably the weakest part of the series for me it just it just didn't really flow it just felt like they were just kind of cram as much as they could in, in a short amount of time yeah also Dennis doesn't deserve to get his $175,000 back so that was also mm-hmm. kind of a bummer like we're calling out this guy for his ter- being as terrible as he is, but then also taking his case. But anyway, um, moving on. So uh, Wong finally checks in with Jen and confirms Blonsky's story. That's it. Case closed. I uh, I took him out of prison and I put him back. No big deal. And then uh, Jen says, well, actually, it is a big deal because, you know, got to do things by the book. You got to be able to follow the law. And Wong thinks, well, uh, he can't erase people's memories because that just creates issues, uh, as we've seen recently in the MCU. But maybe the solution is to put Blonsky in the mirror dimension or the shadow dimension. Neither of those are things that Jen wants to do. Wong is going to have to attend the hearing and uh, state his case for what ha- what really happened with Blonsky and how Blonsky didn't actually escape from prison. Uh, anyway, getting back to our B story, as Dennis is laying out his case for Pug... Just that's where we get the dollar amount. He spent one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars on the girlfriend he thought was Megan the Stallion, and then he leaves the room, and then all of a sudden he's back, saying that he wants to drop his case. But that turns out is our shapeshifter Runa, the light elf who then impersonates Pug, telling all the women in the office how Pug says, "I love harassing women in the workplace," and Pug clarifies that he uh, that he does not. Uh, we will check back in with that B story in a little bit. Let's move on to the hearing. On her way in, Jennifer is asked if it's true that she was rejected by the Avengers. So at least we're still hearing the name Avengers being thrown around the MCU, and now we know that they are coming back, right? We've got two Avengers movies on the books, and so, I don't know. Because we've gone so long without having an Avengers movie, I just get, I just geek out now just hearing the word Avengers. I guess that's how easy it is but uh, to get me excited as a fan. But anyway... Moving forward with the hearing, 
Guess who's also in attendance, Paul? The seven soulmates. I love how Blonsky refers to them. My better eighths, he calls them. Uh, Their names, by the way, are Blair, Ruth, Marta, Sheila, Alejandra, Ivan, and Nicolette. The parole board is reluctant to grant Blonsky his release, uh, but Blonsky says he feels genuine remorse. He's changed in every way that a person can, intellectually, spiritually, uh, dimensionally or interdimensionally, you name it, Blonsky has changed and he does have a place to live and work the meditation retreat on the property that was purchased uh, purchased for him by those seven better eighths for Emil Blonsky. And other people are there to make his case, talking about the prison literacy program that he started, how he's been leading daily guided meditation and yoga, taught the prisoners how to make toilet kombucha, or the prisoners are now making toilet kombucha instead of toilet wine. He saved a guard from a bad marriage, and then Wong finally shows up. He was late. He lost track of time, which you could see how that goes for Wong, asking the parole board if they've ever heard of a kumite, and those of us who've seen Bloodsport have heard of a kumite, and Wong is saying that uh, he didn't give Blonsky a choice to leave, but Blonsky made the choice to return. So Blonsky really just broke a guy out of prison, which is a crime, but Wong is going to bail. Don't worry, he will face no consequences for having done that. So as we go through, and I know it cuts to, uh, we cut to some legal proceedings for the B story, but I'll save that just to go all the way through the hearing. Uh, Blonsky shows he can control, he can maintain control while still being abomination. I like this moment, Paul, because that's key for the future, that Blonsky can still be Blonsky when he becomes abomination, and he can change back and forth from abomination at will, methinks that will be useful in a future MCU project, whether that's Mm. Thunderbolts, hmm, Mm. or maybe something else somewhere later on down the line. Mm. Um, Because he, but it, it shows the point that's made there is he always could have broken free, but he chose to remain in his cell. Uh, a very good point made by a very good lawyer in Jennifer Walters. So before we will have some other business to get to before we get to the results of the hearing, but this scene worked really well for me, uh, Paul. I thought it was, even though maybe the highlight for me from a fun and uh, comedic standpoint was trolling the trolls uh, was a, a big part of that uh, this episode for me. But I mm-hmm. liked this whole sequence. I, I loved the recap of it, all the good that Blonsky has done in prison. Uh, I loved Tim Roth's performance in this yeah. was so good. So that good. line, though, of my better eighths cracked me oh up. I loved that so much. Uh, a lot of this worked really, really well. And I think it's also just done a lot to make Blonsky an even more interesting character. Likeable. Yeah, well, likable, yes, for sure. But also genuinely interesting to where it's like, I don't want it to end here. Like I, yes, the story yeah. doesn't end here. I'm actually, I mean, I, I know they kind of wrap up his story in this episode, I but we're, going with this, yeah. we're still only three episodes into this thing. And so uh, with six more to go, I could see Blonsky coming back again in this series, maybe to help his lawyer mm-hmm. uh, at some point in this, but also for other things in the MCU and the way they've expanded this character. Like, you have a smart Hulk, now you have a smart abomination. Not that he was, I mean, Blonsky was still, I mean, he was articulate, like he could still, you could still understand him when he was abomination, yeah. but he was still very big monster guy in yeah. The Incredible Hulk, and that's not the demeanor now uh, when Blonsky goes full abomination. So just adding that dimension to the character and, and everything else, just 
a huge win. I mean, you don't give the character a ton of time, but they accomplish a lot. And also, Jennifer Walters shines in this sequence because she's done a great job making a case for a guy that where it seemed like an open and shut against Blonsky, and, and now it's not so simple. So I, I have a question about Wong. Well, I'll get to when I'm done here to ask you really quick because yeah. I'm a little confused. Because I'm just going to say right now, my the Wong stuff, and I love Wong. I, I love everything about Wong. I wish we had more of him. Maybe that's where I was a little kind of irritated about this. It felt like his thing was very much like, hey, okay, I'm here. Okay, I'm by. And, and I know that's the point of his whole thing, but it felt just almost – I don't know. We'll get that in a second. I'll ask my last my question about him in a minute. But I want to say about the abomination. I love all, all that stuff. And, and I, one thing after watching the Rings of Power uh, yesterday that kind of was very evident to me, and this is not a, a diversion of this, but after watching that show for two episodes, I didn't hate it. But and, and watching She-Hulk, I it's it makes me realize, and in and, uh, previous in anything we watch for with film, is how much you know you can write the best script in the world. But you have to have the actors saying it that mm-hmm. actually give it meaning and give it life. Because I've seen it plenty of times where a, a really mediocre script will be great because the actors playing it are are delivering it and giving a you know have a, a charisma and that transcend it. And we've seen a great scripts by you know mediocre actors just be nothing because you know they don't bring it to life. And I, I say all that to say the better eights line, I think is is, is a cute line. I like it. But the way he delivers it is just perfect. Like Tim Roth is just a class. He's just a class of his own. He's an amazing actor, you know, and I, I just wish he did more. But it's just crazy because, you, you know, you have a great actor like Tim Roth delivering that line. I don't I think other people might be just be funny, but he just he makes it hilarious. Like the way he, his mannerisms are, the way he's portraying this version of Emil is perfect. And I just love it. And I just think that it just it just kind of emphasized to me how important acting, you know, having a good actor, you know, and like Maslani is another great example. I mean, she, I mean, to me, I think anyone else playing Jennifer Walters or She-Hulk, just, it, I don't think it would work. There's just a charisma to her. And to Tim Robbins, you know, or Tim Robbins, Tim Roth, excuse me. Uh, you can, we take it for granted. I think the MCU does such a great job. And I know people will say, you're being a Cheryl. I'm just being real, man. MCU are, they're just, they have casting down. They, like do. they just do. They just have it down to a science. And I hate to say art as a science, you know, I'm very much against that kind of idea, but really they just know whatever they do to figure out these actors and get them in and get them the right way. Well, it's it's vi- perfect. It's vision, it's instincts. Yes. Right. And some people just have and Sarah Hallie Finn is the longtime casting director. And I know she's had other people working with her on a lot of these Disney Plus shows and the movies, but you know, she's the one who's been there pretty much the whole time. And the casting for MCU has just been top notch. And and no, I don't think it's science in terms of a formula of just do this, but it is mm-hmm. some people just have better, stronger, more consistent, creative instincts than others. And like it, it just works. Right. They just make the right calls. And so, yeah. I mean, and there are famous examples of it for Sarah Finn in the MCU. I mean, James Gunn did not want to see Chris Pratt for, Gar- for Star-Lord and Guardians of the wow. Galaxy. And she kept pitching him and then eventually like snuck him in to like so that he could actually read for the part. And then and after that, you know, the rest is history and James Gunn went for it. So, you know, and there's a lot of people and that just speaks to, I mean, the collaborative medium that movies and or mediums that movies and, and television now streaming are right. Like there's right. a lot of times we boil it down because it's just easier for our brains to simplify it and say we give credit to the director, we give credit to the actors. But there are a lot of people making a lot of smart choices. I mean, there's somebody 
at the helm leading it and all of that, but there are other people who are making important choices that are also really, really good at what they do and help other people look even better at, at, at what they do than they already are. And yeah, it totally speaks to that. But what was your, your question for me about yeah. Wong? So I, and I meant to go back and once again, life is busy, man. Um, I meant to go back because I, his explanation of why he took abomination in the first place just felt very, uh, it doesn't quite track with Shang-Chi. Exactly. Thank you. Okay. I was like, am I missing something? Am I, because it just, when he said that either he's just saying that to, and it's going to be a setup for something later, which I think I'm hoping that's what it is, but it felt, that felt very not that was not that did not feel right to me it just it felt either it was either they it was a, it was a complete uh discord or a, a redirection or this is just a kind of a way for them to come back to it later what i will say in fairness to it is they don't really explain what's going on in shang chi like we do know that obviously wong and abomination blonsky were they have a relationship yeah, and it, it almost sound it, it almost felt like more of an ongoing thing, right? Exactly. Like, like they'd been yeah. doing it for a while, and um, and maybe would continue doing it. Meanwhile, uh, in this one, it makes it sound Wong describes it as. And now we only saw it happen one time, and so Wong is describing it as a one time thing. So you could say maybe what we interpreted from Shang Chi wasn't necessarily correct, and it doesn't definitively disprove one account of the situation or another, but. Yeah, it didn't totally sync up. Like, we never heard Blonsky being like, because Tim Roth didn't do any voice work for Shang-Chi. So we never heard him actually say, like, I want to go back to prison. Or any the stuff that Wong is giving him credit for, we don't actually see in Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. But I can also see how it would have happened, right? Like, I, I could see it being a thing. And, and maybe Wong is only addressing what he has to, right? Here's what you need to know, whether or not that's exactly what happened in the part of it that, in the part of their relationship and their arrangement that we saw in Shang-Chi didn't necessarily tell the whole story. Here's the meat of it that you need to understand uh, For and Wong giving Blonsky credit for that. So I don't really have a problem with it, even if it doesn't totally sync up. There are ways that it could with a little more uh, information. Yeah. What I did like about it, though, because there was a, a part that you also mentioned, how Wong is just kind of there and gone in this episode, I actually kind of liked that because I, I thought it spoke to Wong's status as the Sorcerer yeah. Supreme. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Which I actually didn't like Wong's motive when he said like, oh, I need to be a, a master of the Mystic Arts. I need to become the Sorcerer Supreme. Like, aren't you kind of already? But anyway, right? Yeah. like, you know, did you really need to fight abomination to prove that you're the Sorcerer Supreme? No, there are way more impressive things that Wong has done you know, than have like, than use sling rings to make abomination knock himself out. So, you, you know, I think you're you're on. I think you're right. I think there's now that I think about it, and, and knowing what I think he's probably lying just to get him out of to get him yeah, out. And, I don't and, think he's lying. I think all of those things are true. We just didn't see all of that. Like I think oh, he is. Damn. I think he is taking a bigger story between himself and Blonsky, and he is condensing it. Here are the points you need to know okay. because he does believe right. that Blonsky deserves like rehabilitation. Deserve that Blonsky is reformed and, and deserves it because to his credit, like. If Blonsky, if Wong was taking Blonsky out to fight and all he did was fight and, and never actually try to, which Wong wanted and never actually tried to escape, that speaks to Blonsky being in control, right? So like there right. is that, but I did like Wong's attitude in this and that he was so dismissive of all these other things because he is dealing with things on a very different level. 
as the Sorcerer Supreme. So like the whole idea of like, well, I explained it. See you later. Oh, no, that's not quite good enough. Um, mm -hmm. Then he does explain it. Well, that, that means you committed a crime. Oh, well, bye. And, and all of that stuff for Wong, I thought really made sense for him and, and where he is in the MCU. And even his exit, like felt like that could have been right out of a comic book panel of like, hey, yeah. what you all, what you revealed here should have significant consequences. And Wong's like, not for this issue. Bye. Uh, like that tracked for me and, and that clicked into place. I thought really, really nicely. Um, but outside of the hearing, Jennifer is asked if there's any truth to the rumors that she got her powers from a mafia hit gone wrong. That is a reference to how she got her powers in the comic books and how she oh. needed a blood transfusion from uh, Cousin Bruce. But anyway, back to the B story, which we were seeing intercut with the hearing. Runa is the daughter of an elfin diplomat with diplomatic immunity, but only in New Asgard. My favorite moment of the B story is Runa standing up at this point, though, and saying Asgard is not a place. It is a people hearkening uh, back to Thor Ragnarok. But uh, her lawyer is saying that it is a relationship gone bad, not a scam. And there's a good point that's being made there, except then Runa goes and impersonates the judge, uh, which was maybe not the best idea. And we cut to legalese where protesters are where a protester spray painted Jen's car saying that or she's referencing that a, a monster defending a monster. Nikki, Nikki is encouraging Jen to do an interview. Pug shows up complaining about Dennis, and that is where we get Jen's comment connecting the A story and B story. Nice. What is that connection? Well, now Jen is going to testify against all odds on behalf of Dennis that he is a big enough dope to believe that he was dating Megan the Stallion. Uh, he is, as Jen says, quote, an almost pathologically entitled man, and later says that he is truly that delusional. So Dennis Bukowski wins, and then Runa also gets criminal punishment in this civil case for impersonating the judge earlier. Uh, also of note, Megan the Stallion is there in the audience saying, that's right, there's only one Megan the Stallion. Uh, Dennis wishes Runa's powers could be removed to prevent her from hurting anyone else, which gives Jen an idea. That'll bring us back to the A story. But let's finish up on the B story as it got resolved here, Paul. The fact that the judge in this civil trial issues a criminal sentence to Runa at the very tail end of this pretty much sums up what this was and, and just how rushed and kind of thrown together the, a lot of this was. Again, good, interesting setup. And I do like that it revealed something uh, that informed Jen to get things going uh, and provide some resolution on the A story, although I think that is a more complicated resolution than Jennifer realizes. And we'll talk about that when we get to it. So some interesting ideas brought forth in the B story, but a lot of it did just feel kind of thrown together. And this is a, a perfect example of it. Not that I expect to have, and we've had other issues with this uh, in the show. And it is a staple of any television show that deals with a profession that is nowhere near as interesting or dramatic in real life as it plays out on television, whether you're talking about legal show, uh, shows dealing with lawyers or shows dealing with doctors or whatever it may be. And this is a prime example of it, but almost a laugh out loud at, at the ridiculous of it example. Maybe I'm wrong, um, you know, and somebody's a lawyer, they can feel free to you know, chime in and let me know. <laughs> but uh, I was like, wait a minute. So we're in we're at the end of this civil trial here. 
And the judge has, it's a criminal proceeding. Yes, Runa committed a crime by impersonating a judge, but that's a separate thing. That's a separate thing that she's going to get in trouble for and have a separate hearing and sentence later. You don't get a criminal sentence at the end of your civil trial, just not the way that it works. And it just, that whole thing, I know it's inherently silly and the whole thing is meant to be silly, but you still want things to kind of make a little bit of sense uh, and not feel like it's all just thrown together. And there was uh, a fair amount of that in the B story. Yeah. Yeah, this is, I'll just say that you said it all there. I don't really have much to say about the the B story other than that it kind of echoed, echoing what I'd said before. It just felt very rushed. They're setting up the fact that, you know, Pug, and that's one thing I want to say. They, I, I think one of the things they want to really show was the difference between Pug and Dennis and between, I'd say, someone who doesn't treat uh, women as equals and someone who does like Pug. And I would say Dennis, they, they're two very different people and how, you know, just – I don't know, I, to me, I think it, it was, it, that's the one reason why I think that I like this because it, it shows you how, how respectable and how nice Pug really is, you know, mm-hmm. and he's, a, you know, he's a good person and that he's very different than the pre- people that she had worked with before. And I don't know, I, I, I think that will, again, pay off eventually in the in the series. It just wasn't executed the best and, and not, no fault of the actors or anything like that. I just think that this was a means to an end, if, if you will. Yeah. And it just. It didn't like even even um, Jennifer Walters when she's like on on the stand. It just felt like I'm like this is, does not seem natural to me. It just it just didn't work for me. And again, wasn't terrible. I wasn't like you know this is just an agenda you know anything like that. Yeah. But just well, it just, I, I think what thing. it does reveal about her though, because even though I mentioned like why would you defend Dennis? Well, there was a a fraud committed against Dennis. Should he have known it? Totally. But does it change the fact that there was fraud that that was committed there by Runa? No, it doesn't. And so I, I will say that it, it shows that Jennifer Walters is not a hypocrite, even though she doesn't like Dennis, even though he represents a lot of things that that she has to battle against, that she's had to deal with throughout her life and her career. And so many other women have to deal with throughout their lives and their careers. Despite all of that, Dennis, like Blonsky, you know, deserves his for different reasons and different situations, obviously. But her respect for due process and people deserving their day in court and had their chance to have a, a, their case heard and justice and all of that, that she is consistent with that, even for people she doesn't necessarily like or agree with. So that is something that I, I, I like about this. I think there are there was a good setup to the B story. There are good ideas that came out of the B story, but how everything was put together and presented in the episode wasn't always as good as that setup or those ideas that came out of it, but that's okay. We'll see how uh, how A and B stories go in subsequent episodes. But uh, mentioning that there was an idea that Jen got from Dennis, which has to stay between uh, her and us, but the idea was that whole idea of preventing, being, removing powers to prevent her Runa from hurting someone else. Well, what if you could do that for Blonsky? And so Blonsky is granted his parole but he is prohibited from becoming abomination indefinitely. And to ensure that, he must wear an inhibitor in perpetuity, which Blonsky agrees to because it's better to have that than be in prison. And Jen takes this win, and it's good for her to win the case. But I have a feeling this might be uh, unintended consequences uh, always come up in these sorts of things, just in storytelling in general. And... This seems like a good idea because it helps Jen win this case, but the idea of superpowered characters wearing inhibitors, I mean, it makes sense for ones who are doing bad things, but 
as we know, the application of such uh, things and such ideas and technology will expand beyond the original intended purpose. And so that idea of Blonsky wearing an inhibitor, we've seen this a bunch of times in mutant storytelling of suppressing their powers, abilities, and all of those sorts of things. I think Jennifer Walters will see that with this victory, she's introduced something that may directly impact her and other more well-intended super-powered characters. Yeah, yeah, this is where I think that we're... I like the, the dynamic that, you know, like the comics brought up like slot and with the whole lawyer aspect in the superhero division. I think it's a great, this is going to be rich in storytelling. And to me, one thing I, I thought about this, it just kind of hit me just now, Sean, is that you could even offshoot without She-Hulk this whole, you know, that whole division, right? It could mm-hmm. be a whole, its own show without her. I'm not saying you should, yeah, but you Good could. luck with that. No, no, I think I think you very well could, and and with with a different. I, I think you could, but how many of us are going to watch it? You and I will. Um, well, no, or I, I, I should say I will. You gave up on Agents of Shield and Agent Carter, so I don't know. Well, uh, but part of that's because the superhero aspect was was totally thrown out for just yeah, espionage. Well, and that's not with, that's not without She Hulk though. You're going to lose a lot of that superhero aspect. Well, well, for. Again, for the main character, but I think there's other, but having the a routine like uh, going after these, you know, and defending these other superheroes, these C and D listers. I mean, there's a lot of fun stuff there. And I like, I like the, I, I love this idea and seeing it on the screen for the most part with, with Abomination, even with the whole, the, the, the plot B elf thing not being my favorite. I do think it's a recipe for like, success. And I do think it's interesting to think about they could really have fun doing that in the MCU by building up these, you know, having fun with these smaller characters that, you know, they're never going to use. Like, we're eventually going to see Frogman, which I can't wait. So, I mean, like, I'm just praying it's not a bad uh, B plot. So I'm just like, please don't be bad. Please don't be bad. Please don't be bad. So, um, but no, I, I think I love this aspect because I think it's a way to kind of, you know, bring in more and diff- unique different characters and without having to be on a, 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 their own movie or own TV show. That, so having some kind of avenue like that, in my opinion, would be is, is not pivotal, but it'd be really helpful for MCU developing characters because I think we're there's probably I'm not sure who it's going to be. There's going to be a hero from this that's not Daredevil, that's not She-Hulk, that's going to come out of the series, and it's going to be a fan favorite, and I would not be shocked that's going to be like they're going to be pounding the table for more of. And I don't know who that person's going to be. I pray it's Frogman, but I don't know. But it's going to happen, and I'm very interested when that happens. But um, I, I like, again, I love the concept. I think it's perfect for this. I just hope they kind of find a better way to balance it a little bit. So maybe a little more time? I don't know. I'm hoping what, I'm curious what next week's bring, uh, next week brings us. Yeah, I'm all for B stories. You just want them to be stronger and, and to hold up better against the the A story within an episode, and we'll see where it goes from here. But at the towards the end of this, we see that She-Hulk finally does do an interview with Citizen News Tonight, the well-known Citizen News Tonight. And during that, uh, she's asking, she's asked how she came up with the name She-Hulk, acknowledges the story of how she didn't, but now she accepts it. I am forever She-Hulk, she says. But then when they get back from the commercial break, they will be talking about her diet and exercise secrets. And she just goes, what? Um, which is funny. And then also a sad commentary on, on what women are often reduced to. Uh, Cause here she is with this pivotal case that everybody has some strong moral stance on, uh, but that's not what the interview is going to be about. It's going to be reduced to these other subjects that have absolutely nothing to do with mm-hmm. anything. So an unfortunate truth revealed in a comedic way there that uh, I, I thought was interesting. But then as she is getting home, there is an attack, 
And uh, then she realizes, oh, wait, uh, she has the ability to, she is attacked as Jennifer Walters defends herself as She-Hulk. Uh, these attackers, we saw them in the trailer wondering what that weaponry was. They robbed an Asgardian construction worker, as Jen correctly guesses, and they are trying to get her blood, which we know from Bruce Banner, Smart Hulk, Professor Hulk, whatever you want to call him. He revealed this truth and this dangerous, ominous truth that if somebody gets that blood that is uh, different in a better way from his own blood, from, they get that blood from Jennifer Walters, Really, really bad things can happen, and now we know someone is trying to do it. So She-Hulk easily defends uh, herself and dispatches these attackers, and as they retreat to their van, one of them says, the boss is gonna be mad, which begs the question, who's the boss? And probably not Tony Danza. So we have talked about this. We have shared our own speculation about who it's gonna be who just wants that different and a better way Hulk blood from Jennifer Walters. We've been thinking you brought back Blonsky in this and that he's not the only important figure from the Incredible Hulk who could make a return in this series. We have talked about Tim Blake Nelson as Dr. Samuel Stearns, a.k.a. the leader, and I feel like that's the direction this is going. We are so steeped in Hulk lore in this. Granted, because of the nature of the MCU and Marvel comic books, there are literally thousands of other characters this could be, but my money is still on the leader uh, at the end of this, and I think that also keeps Abomination in this story to come back uh, potentially in the future uh, before we finish these nine episodes, and maybe not. Maybe Abomination's next stop is uh, Thunderbolts, or maybe... Uh, Blonsky really will live out his days with his better eighth, just happy at the meditation retreat. I don't know. But mm. um, yeah, I, I feel like we we have to be introduced to the boss uh, at some point in this uh, in the remaining six episodes of this series. And yeah, I think, Paul, you and I have got a, a pretty, and I think a lot of people, not just us, yeah. have a pretty good idea of who that's going to be. If, you know, do you, do we want to talk about the who the boss is really quick? Yes, let's say. Who we think, Okay. You know, again, no. Someone kind of tweeted at me about that, and I just was like, "Come on, don't!" I hadn't watched the episode yet. Give me at least a week to like. You know, yeah. Before you well, I mean, up, technically, it wasn't a spoiler, right? Because they don't actually say who the boss is in this one, but, no, but it, it, it points to it. Certainly points to what we were already speculating right, about going right. back to the first episode. And that, and just, you know, if I love people tweeting at me just for anything spoiler or anything story related to like current episodes, give me, let me watch it. I don't, I try not to. I I don't seek it out. I try to avoid the, my timeline during these episodes between you know i usually watch within a day or so so please just don't refrain if you can from that stuff because if you tweet it at me and i see a mention i'm not going to look at it or i don't want to just delete it out my you know, take it off my phone completely for a while but anyway um the, the leader thing is um yeah the leader thing is interesting i i love to see tim blake nelson back as uh the leader. And I think that's they're, they're, they're going towards and that'll be great. Um, I mean, is there, it's, it's gotta be at least top five of like the biggest missed opportunities or underutilized opportunities in the MCU for a lot of reasons that we recapped of Hulk rights and stuff like that. That's been confusing over the years. and, And we don't have complete official clarification on, but if there's a resolution to that and allows them to make good on that and have him no longer be underutilized, it's just a total home run. Yeah, and I think 
to me, there's they're really opening up Pandora's box by this show more way more than I realize in a good way because of the Hulk aspect and all the mythos and that you can have. Because, man, the, the the Hulk mythos is just deep with storytelling and characters. It really is. And there's 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 fun. There's as we talked about many times, there's lots of dramatic and really draw a lot of good I mean, artistic, I think, uh, opportunities with doing a Hulk film. I really do. I mean, there's a lots of great stuff. I mean, even Immortal Hulk recently was just incredible. And I recommend anyone read that. That's great comic book storytelling. Um, the leader, though, it will be interesting because to me, it just echoes what we've said before, where they're going more Hulk route and they're going deep and they're going they're grabbing these characters and they're going to use it and they're, they're bringing them back, not just for fun, for like one time. Marvel doesn't do things like that. Usually they usually are building towards something, which I love. It's what we love yep. the MCU. Right. So the fact we're giving abomination, the fact we've got the Hulk, the She-Hulk. Now we've got where Hulk's going and then now we have the, you know, potentially the leader coming into this. That is just so much. There's, it's gonna be fun, but I just to me, what it's gonna lead to is awesome. And there is we're gonna talk about here. Obviously, the people who attacked her was the Wrecking Crew, uh, and they call it out. And then you know he calls them you know bulldozer or whatever. Thunderball, I think. Oh, is Thunderball, yeah, Thunderball, called, yeah. yeah. Bulldozer's the other one. Yeah, Thunderball. I'm like, okay, yeah, we're definitely. You know, I, it was obvious, but I mean. For those who don't know, the Wrecking Crew are are there are some favorites of mine. I freaking love the Wrecking Crew, and one of the things that one of the things I thought was interesting was in the comic books they get their power from Loki. Loki gives uh, as a prank gives enchantment to a crowbar and a, and the and the wrecker, the guy, the main guy, the guy with the long hair and the mustache, whatever or whatever that is. Uh, he he gets the power in the comic books and in dons are made. I love his costume, his purple weird mask, and like and then starts you know going toe to toe with Thor. And he eventually shares that power with the other characters, the, the other wrecking crew, and then they, you know, they, they team up and whatever. And so in this, they obviously have their weapons already, but they're they look Asgardian a little bit already. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. And then, but they're obviously not super strong, and they have they are super strong in the comic books, and so they all run off. And they, they when they say the boss is gonna be mad, I go, oh, are they gonna? Are they going to be turned into Hulks? Is, are they going to get the power from Gamma? Because I think, I mean, I'm hoping they're going to be eventually become like their com their comic book counterparts because they're kind of there already. Maybe they're not. I hope that's not the case. But it made me think instead of the, the Asgardian powers they're going to be getting, are they might be getting the, the Gamma powers now? So, just just curious. Yeah, I think that's definitely a, a possibility. I. I almost wish that the line had been just so much more on the nose. Instead of saying the boss is going to be mad, if they had said the leader is going to be mad, that would have been. That, that so would, that, oh, that would, yeah, that <laughs> but it's too much. Too, like then it's too obvious, yeah. right? And um, right. and by the there, by the way, like there's a world where it's not the leader. Um, like we don't know that for sure. It's purely speculative on our part. And and the leader's a pretty big Marvel villain. So even if the leader is revealed in this series, doesn't necessarily mean that. It's going to be the main antagonist who She-Hulk defeats and then is never seen again in the MCU. Like this is a character that could pop up in multiple projects, mostly associated with Hulk stuff. But because the Hulk, by the nature of some of the way the character has been treated in the MCU, some of those for licensing reasons and whatever else. If Hulk can pop up in other projects, then other Hulk characters can pop up in other projects. So I think that's something that's definitely worth uh, definitely worth keeping in mind. I would say just to present an alternative, I do think, you know, there's a chance the leader comes back at some point in the MCU, but what if it's not this show? And what if that's not the boss that they're referring to? Mm. There is somebody else who's been doing a lot of work behind the scenes and recruiting her own 
super powered characters and team and whatever. What if don't call her Val is somehow connected to this? So, um, I, I'm not saying that's who the boss is. I'm not saying anybody is who it is that I just to point out, there are other possibilities, which is why it's just so exciting to see where it, uh, where it progresses from here, but a good end to the episode, right. To show Mm. that you've gone through all of these different consequences, not that Jennifer Walters hasn't faced consequences of being a superhero. She's faced a ton of them, you know, whether it's her image or being protested against for no reason, uh, or it's being, or even for people who maybe were protesting for the reason of being worried about abomination, which was fair. Um, but other people hating her for all sorts of other reasons that are not exactly valid, uh, losing her job, all of these different things. And now she has been attacked because she is a superhero. And, I also love that moment, though. Like, if you're going to strut around, the superheroes, like, when have I ever strutted around? Um, and that is, that reflects the attitude that was there earlier with the comments that were called out, is acting like it's strutting. Like, so me being here is strutting? That just, like, that. that's what how easy it is for you to feel threatened or feel that I'm strutting, is to just me be in here in this space, taking up a little bit of space. That's uh, strutting. Just shows how small uh, the Wrecking Crew are and, uh, you know, others who maybe make... Uh, similar types of criticisms but anyway uh good uh, good end to the show or this episode that builds on some intrigue of who that boss is what's next for jennifer walters and then we get to twerk gate we get to the tag um where she hulk is dancing with her new client megan the stallion uh whom she hulk would kill for and megan the stallion tells her to dial it back uh but yeah that's jen's favorite new client is uh megan the stallion and amongst their dancing is, yes, they do uh, spend a few seconds twerking together. And I guess some people on the internet really just lost their minds. A lot of people in a very good, excited way. Other people weirdly offended that this is something that's happening in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I teased this before in the podcast, although I spoiled it. If you follow at MCU Fan Show on Twitter, I just, I can't help but laugh at some of the arguments that are made against moments like this in the MCU. And I think it's an attitude towards this show in general, but they, a lot of people use this moment to say, this is it. This is our proof that this show is doing the wrong things and criticizing the show, trying to argue that it is not like the comic books or arguing it, arguing that this is just too silly for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's an affront to the MCU because it's not taking things seriously and just being uh, crazy and absurd and silly. And I have I have problems with each of those arguments. Let's start with the comic books. Read more comics. And I don't say that to be gatekeeping and say you're not a fan if you haven't read comic books. No. You can be a fan and not read comic books. That's fine. But if you're going to criticize it based on comic books, it does help if you've read them. So if you have read some of the more famous, more prominent runs of She-Hulk, then you know that a lot of the silliness, the ridiculousness, the humor of this series is on par with a lot of She-Hulk comic books. So it is par for the course with all of that. Uh, That is not an issue. And then if we're talking about silliness and taking the MCU seriously... Have you seen the Ant-Man franchise? Have you seen Taika Waititi's Thor movies or the two Thor movies that preceded that? And numerous other ridiculous, silly moments, even in very dark and serious uh, MCU movies or dark and serious or movies in which dark and serious things happen, uh, like you see in Avengers Infinity War or almost pretty much every single MCU movie up until this point. 
where was all of this offense? Where was everybody saying that Taika Waititi went too far and was too absurd when he had a love triangle between a thunder god and his two magic hammers in Thor Love and Thunder? I know not everybody loved that movie, but nobody was calling it out as being some huge affront to the MCU where one magic hammer could be jealous of another magic hammer. The only reason these arguments, we know why these arguments are being made. They're bad faith arguments that are there to disguise the real problems that people actually have with, that some people actually have with the show. And it's the types of arguments that this very episode highlights uh, to show where that re- where it's really coming from and how there are just people out there that, yeah, I hope they find a way to move past this. I hope they find a way uh, to see that none of this stuff really is a threat. But I think a lot of people pretend to be offended for a lot of reasons that you said, Paul, just to rile things up and get views and get everything else because there is a there is a monetary incentive for stoking the flames of this type of stuff, which is why there are so many people who do it. Uh, but no, it's, and I don't want to say, I'm not accusing anybody who doesn't like She-Hulk of thinking this way. It's fine if you don't like it. We didn't like the B story in this week's episode. It's okay to not like things. It's okay to have criticisms of things, just like it's okay to like and praise these things. But there are certain arguments that people make that really don't hold up. Uh, if they're trying to say that's the reason they don't like it. Um, I'm pretty sure it's not because of source material fidelity, because this is a pretty faithful interpretation of She-Hulk. And it's certainly not because people have a problem with the MCU being silly, because the MCU is silly all the time. And She-Hulk is no, it's not being any more absurd than other examples that we've seen in the MCU that people absolutely love and praise to this day. You know, I, I can't really add anything else. You, you, you nailed that thing. I, I just say that, yeah, the, the whole twerking thing was blown way out of proportion. It's is meant to be fun. And the last thing I'll add to it is that, you know, I know a guy that posted like he and it, he likes the show, apparently, the She-Hulk show. But he posted like a picture of of Jensen from Iron Man dying at the most pivotal moment for Tony Stark and then put the the twerking scene next to it and said, look how far we've, we've come in the MCU. Yeah. Like and I just I was like, that's the most even though he likes the show, apparently. I just tweeted out and I'm like, that's the most disingenuous thing. Cause then I, I posted a picture of the pole scene yep. and, and from Iron Man, I'm like, Iron Man, to Iron Man, 2008. And so, I mean, like, it's just like, come on, come yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's okay for Tony Stark to have a pole and the flight attendants start dancing in front of him and Rhodey on his plane in the very first Iron Man film. But now it's just too far to yeah. have uh, She-Hulk twerking in her office by herself uh, or just with her and Megan the Stallion. Uh, yeah, just it, it makes no sense at all. Uh, meaning the scene itself makes plenty of sense. It's fun. Um, but the arguments against it, yeah. I mean, if you just don't like it, that's fine. But yeah, as I said, it's, it's the reasoning that, that doesn't uh, work with a lot of things that people normally love about the MCU. I think the difference between what She-Hulk, uh, what She-Hulk is doing versus a lot of what other MCU things have done. Um, it's just who's involved, and it's just the gender of the character, and that's why people have, uh, you know, some people are pretending to be so offended by it, and it's so damaging to the MCU when it isn't at all. This is actually a very popular show that people are loving, and that is a very good thing for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So in any event, uh, as I said before, just highlighting areas where people can grow and uh, you know, personal growth is always uh, a good thing. So hopefully some folks find a way to do that because 
Otherwise, uh, if you're just inventing reasons to be mad, it becomes very hard to find happiness and joy uh, in life. So uh, best of luck to uh, to all of those folks and to all of us as we uh, continue our, our own journeys of growth. But that is it for this episode of MCU Fan Show and our spoiler review of She-Hulk Attorney at Law, Episode 3. We will have another conversation on Fan Show Plus, patreon.com slash Sean Gerber on Apple Podcasts. We will share our excitement over the news. Why pretend that it would be anything else? Uh, our excitement over the news that Trevor Slattery will return in the Wonder Man Disney Plus series and also share some of our hopes, dreams, expectations for Marvel Studios at D23 Expo uh, next weekend. So that'll be on the next edition of Fan Show Plus. So make sure you check that out. Follow us where you can at MCU Fan Show on Instagram and Twitter. Remember to leave that rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also, please follow my YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. Uh, we just did a Spider-Man episode where we did our favorite uh, anniversary uh, issue and uh, you know, celebration, a gatefold cover, whatever. And it was a it was a blast. We had a we had a, we had a ton of fun. And uh, go check that out. And um, yeah, uh, yeah, love, read more comics. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.